0: Well, today we have a very special guest, Captain Sig Hansen, from uh, the television show that I think we've all watched uh, more hours than any other television show on television, uh, "Deadliest Catch," and uh, it's great to uh, finally have you on here, Captain. Thank you. Glad to be in there. So, right with uh, the new season launched. I mean, obviously, we could talk about kind of the tension with dealing with Russia, the international Bering Sea. But I started thinking, before I reached out to you, a lot of people are affected by this pandemic, but one of the things I kind of was trying to figure out, like, how would this affect your industry? And I slowly started realizing that this does have a ripple effect um, with everything. And with you guys, it must be pretty uh, devastating. Well, I mean, as far as the
1: pandemic, you know, honestly... I'm just glad that we're essential and we got a job. No right. One. Period. Um, so that felt good. As far as you know, being able to go out and and and, and produce and and do it, uh, yeah, we need quarantine times and and the whole nine yards. The state of Alaska. I mean, you know, they uh, they're working with the fishermen like crazy, trying to make it work for everybody. But, you know, there's a bigger picture there, too. You've got the processing facilities and, you know, thousands upon thousands of people that are employed through like Trident Seafoods and Westwood, all these big seafood companies. You've got the airlines that were affected. you got to get all these people from all across the globe to get in there to work, to process, you know, any product, whether it be crab, cod or pollock. And then everybody's got to work together to stay quarantined. So... All that and then getting out there and then for us because we're a little different than most we've got camera guys on board right right? they have their policies we have ours the state has theirs and every you know every village you know every every uh, uh, community has different rules in Alaska as well Uh, you know like St. Paul might be different from Dutch Harbor that might be different from Bristol Bay so I mean. You know, it's a maze, and you just got to make it work. So it's been rough that way. But like I
0: said, you know, I'm just glad I had a job. How has the like the Northwestern your your ship has that had to go under any repairs at all? Having not been on the ocean as much, or is there anything that kind of affects you for that the ship itself? Well, we're you know we take her down to Seattle pretty much every
1: year, and we're okay. going to repairs. Uh, this year was a lot of mechanical um, you know, did a new gen generator, uh, uh, engine auxiliary, they call it uh, a little bit on the main and, you know, we just try to keep it up as best we can. So it's always that it was kind of nice that we were down here because, uh, even after our salmon tendering, we, we go tendering for, for salmon in the summertime. And, you know, my daughter, manny has been a part of that since yep. she was a little girl. And I did that for, for many years, but, uh, you know we chose to bring the boat back down to Seattle so that's a 5 6 day trip from southeast Alaska in lieu of covid right cuz right. we didn't know if the airlines could even get us in there right even if you could charter a plane so it's like wait a minute i got to play it safe here how am i going to do that so just bring the damn thing down and then if it takes me <laughs> seven, if it takes 7 days to get up there well that's half my quarantine you know, uh, and then by the time you get started, then you're in your 14 days, and then uh, and then we're, we're good to go. So we kind of did it
0: that way. You come so. from a long lineage of Norwegian fishermen. Now, you kind of started at a young age, at age of 14, but was that something that, because of the family history with it, that you had to do? Or did you want to do it, but you also had other interests like sports or something else besides the fishing? I mean, <laughs>
1: that's, uh, yeah. I, could, I could draw a, a, a damn picture of a boat before I could sign my name, number one. Right. Uh, uh, and that's all we've ever wanted to do. But I mean, that's for me, it was probably because of our, you know, uh, uh, being of Norwegian heritage uh, and the fact that, you know, in, in, our, in our social group, our, our, you know, our social order, and there was a lot of people from the same uh, town, uh, in Karma, in Norway, where, where our family's from, that kind of, uh, came this way. They'd either go to New Bedford or Seattle looking for work, uh, which led you to Alaska. And, uh, even my wife's father, uh, you know, worked at a New Bedford. She was actually born there and then he moved the family back. So it's one of those things where you feel like you're proud of your heritage. These guys were pioneers of that crab industry or part of it. And, uh, you know in the in the 70s that was kind of the thing to do it's cool right and i was just always envious for the guys that were five six years older than i was that were teenagers but had to go uh, got to go work and i'd see them come back and buy their fancy cars and be a big shot and i'm stuck in this damn high school what, <laughs> what i'm doing here right. there, was a, there was a football coach coach hill great guy and he uh he uh I think it was, yeah, and he, and he asked me, I think I was like 16 years old or something. You know, I already fished in Bristol Bay for salmon for a couple of years. Uh, fished in Norway in the summer times as well. You know, kind of traverse back and forth and, and fished for mackerel and cod when I was a kid there too. Anyway, so there was always opportunity. Uh, but my point is, he goes, well, why don't you play football? I'm not a big guy. But he goes, you know, you should play football. And at the time, I was always interested in in, in European football, soccer. Uh, that's always been kind of the thing in this household. But uh, go Sounders. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he's like, well, "Why don't you play football?" And I'm like, and I looked at him. I was like 15, 16. We just got into high school. And I and I and I go, "Would you? Would you rather?" Because you had to practice in the summer. Yep. And I go, I'm not going to give up my summer, and because I'm always gone. I go, would you rather play a game or would you rather go make money? The words just popped out of my mouth. And then he just stood there breath. Like, how do you answer that? You can't. And I didn't want to come off like a cocky smart ass. It's just the mentality that was, you know, forged into my brain. But I mean, that was, uh, it was, uh, to me, it was always an accomplishment. If you were, if you were gone and you came home a couple of weeks late for school or you left school a couple of weeks early to go fishing, well, crime any sakes. I mean, sometimes the teachers didn't like that. And some, maybe there was a little animosity, but at the end of the day, you know, I felt like that
0: was a norm for us. It's kind of cool that you actually have that business sense at such a young age where it probably startled some of the teachers like, man, this guy gets it. Like he understands the value of, putting the time into the work and he kind of, it's, that's kind of unique. I, I imagine, but I
1: mean, if, you know, you got to remember, uh, dad was pretty old school grandfather. I mean, you know, right. There seems to be up and downs. And so, uh and, and as far as, you know, uh, our family, I mean, during that time, that's when he was starting to make his uh, mark and, and uh looking back, I mean, the guy was, you know, pretty well to do, but, they never spoiled us. They never, uh, you know what I mean? It was like, if you want to go get it. He wasn't just going to hand it to you, you know, that type of mentality. Right. And and it's weird. Like, that can backfire in today's day and age, because I want to sound like an old fart. If I was to do that with children and or grandchildren, maybe <laughs> in-laws, you know, it, 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 it they can't swallow it. You know? Right.
0: Where we had to swallow it,
1: and that's it. And if you right. have opinion, God help you.
0: Right. Get Keep it, it to you. yourself. Yeah. Very. Uh, so, you became a captain at the age of twenty-four, which for me seems really young, considering the type of work you do. So, when you assemble your team and you build your boat out, and when you got the crew and the deck people and everyone, was there any veterans that were kind of like, "Who is this young wise ass who thinks he's a captain?" or did they realize that, Hey, you started off so young, you put your time in and they respect you for that position. Well, I
1: mean, I was 22 and, oh, uh, and the guys and dad was already, so it was way too soon to, to, to even try it. But at the, at the same time, uh, you know, the old man had already kind of made his mark there. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, a guy named Tom Christensen, he was running the boat full time. Uh, but he was off. It was a back then, a Pelio season, you know, they'd split it up into like, uh, we had like North South districts or East West. Um, and, you know, you'd go up in January, start when you wanted to start. It wasn't like this. Oh my God. You know, you can't miss a day uh, of fishing. And then, you know, we typically fish into like June, July, you know, right. you'd have months and months uh, uh, of, of, of the fishery. That being said, this was in like uh, month of May, I think, April, May, something like that. And uh, the old man was going to come up and kind of show me the ropes, so to speak. And then uh, another one of the legendary figures, his name was Magny Ness. It's still around. And just, I mean, you could talk about these kind of guys for days. Right, like folktales. It's amazing what they what they did. And uh, But I remember, you know, uh, it was he it was on the dock. I was actually home for a trip. I was sick as hell. And then uh, 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 and he asked me, he goes, well, do you want to take the boat? Because I can't find a relief. Something to that effect. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I didn't take it serious. And then uh, next thing I know, uh, he shows up. We were going to go. Uh, and I and I and it was the understanding he was going to help out. Well, um, they were on the dock. I suppose they had a little bit of encouragement through. There might have been a few beers involved. <laughs> and so the old timers or at least at the time I looked at them like old timers or like you know Magne's like, just let the guy go like what are you worried about just let him go and then uh, the decision was made like split second the only reason I was asked to, to, to go up there and learn the ropes was because the crew uh, wanted me to partake in that they were really adamant about it and guys even threatened to, to quit if we hired you know, some of these, uh, d- different characters that, so to speak. Uh, right. We've been through that before. We love Tom. He was like, you know, just amazing. But when he wasn't there, things started falling apart. It's fine. So one thing leads to another man. like, let the guy go. The old man's like, well, screw it. We're in Dutch. Let's have a, let's have a good time. And we can just be proud of our children type of an attitude. Walter Christensen was there. He was tied up next to us. Another legendary guy. Uh, he passed away here not too long ago. And, uh, and it was just basically uh, I would follow uh, Walter out up into the Northern district, you know, by the Russian border. And then uh, we got up there and he's like, all right, you're on your own. Basically like, God, so it's like the right area. Right. I'm going to go that way. You pick a direction. Fuck off. That was it. <laughs> well, that's kind of how it happened. And then, you know, then it was live and learn and and, you know, but even at the time you're, you know, you're, you've watched enough guys and, and envisioned right. it enough in your head that you're like, okay, let's try this. And, and you know, but you're going to make, you know, there was a lot of mistakes. It was and it
0: all, it probably also helps to have a really great team with you, right? That isn't afraid to make mistakes, but if they do, you guys work it together and push head. I can, I can only imagine doing what you do with people that might not put the time in, the effort, the care, the love, and it's. I know the television show could kind of with the drama and stuff, but we could talk about that. But it always seems like here are the Northwestern. The teamwork is always rock solid,
1: and it always has been for the most part. And that's the thing, you know. You become a like that's a, it's a family dynamic on that boat, and and it always has.
0: Been. Right.
1: And so, and that's a, a benefit to our benefit. And that being said, you know, yeah, going out there for the first time, the guys rallied for me. Uh, right. We were all young for crying out loud. The The oldest guy in the boat at that time was like 23 or four years old. Jeez. It's unheard of. Right. I mean, it's basically, that's a suicide mission is what it is. Right. Um, and we did great. We did fine. Uh, and yes, they, they, stood, but I was a part of that crew you know we don't just jump right in a a relief captain so to speak so uh it it took a lot of time but at the end of the day uh they had to suffer through my failures and we did it together so it was it was really uh when you look back uh, it ain't gonna happen again
0: Not gonna happen again right now i for watching the television show daily's catch i can see that there's a the physical workload is incredible but as you, as you slowly kind of follow you guys around, it's like the mental aspect of what you guys have to do. Like, this is for the faint of heart. And so how do you guys kind of cope mentally in the Barrett Sea when you're having a really bad day? Like, how do you break down that day where you can kind of, hey, this might be a shitty day now, but tomorrow could be a great day? <laughs> I, <laughs> that's,
1: I think it's because everybody is so seasoned that they, uh, they just – okay. And they also know that, you know, they can cry and moan and, and, and all they want. It's not going to do them any good. And uh, they want to <laughs> be there. So it's different. If you put a bunch of new guys on the boat, yeah, it's going to be a disaster. Um, and a lot of times, you know, like over the years, you know, I mean, like my first year was 1978, uh, uh, fishing and Crab. it's was a kid. But... Having experienced all that and experienced all these different types of people, you know, you weed out the weak ones. I mean, it's just, you know, kill or be killed kind of a mentality. And if you show weakness or start crying too much, I don't have to jump down your throat. The guys are going to do it for me. Right. And they're going to belittle you. And I know that if we had an HR person on the boat, we'd probably all be sitting behind bars going, What happened?
0: Of course, of course.
1: You know, but I mean, at the end of the day, that's what works for us, um, and and it always has. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. But uh, yeah, the guys will belittle you. They will, they'll come down so
0: hard that that you would be afraid <laughs> to complain again. Right, and I kind of like that. It's a respect level too. But you guys also have that distinct um, where you guys have had your safety on there is impeccable. Yeah. And for other crews that don't have that, what kind of advice do you give them? Or is, is it because they – is there an ounce of maybe bad luck involved, obviously, in what you do and some stuff you can't control? Or is this something where your ship and the Northwestern is so – everyone does the right stuff that that's why you guys are so safe?
1: I mean, well, I mean, we've had our lumps and bumps, you know. Uh, been lucky, haven't had any – I mean, here I gotta find some wood here. You're, you're jinxing the shit out of me. Uh, you're killing me. But we, we've had our, we've had. I don't even like talking about that stuff. But I think the the, the recipe for us, as far as a, on a safety thing, which I'm very proud of, is the fact that that we, we've had the same guys, so that makes all the difference. Uh, and the family dynamic, of course. I think also, you know, uh, I've been super aggressive and and sometimes you take on more than you can handle and then, you know, but then you get these little events like uh, waves coming at you that you never thought would happen and you get get scared and then you stop and you're like, what did I just do? But at the end of the day, I think it's because, you know, even for the smallest little things that we can uh, uh, make the deck safer, the, right. It's the tiny little things that matter. If, and if you want to, do like a, like an analogy, a corporate boat versus a family-owned boat, two different things. Right. If you've got a bunch of guys going through, different chiefs and engineers and different deck bosses and all these different people, and, you know, you start filtering through people like that, well, then the boat doesn't get the attention that it might need. So with ours, any little thing that we can do to make it better, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do that ourselves in shipyard or whatever we feel is best so that it doesn't happen again. So there's right. been plenty of close calls. It's just, if it can happen once, it can happen again. So don't do it. And then how do you make that not happen? Things right. like that. Um, yeah. and, the, and the guys were just so good. You know, I mean, my brothers have been on there forever and a day, you know, uh, you know, Edgar, he was 17 when he got out of school. I was always jealous because he got to quit high school. And, uh, <laughs> but it was either that or, or you know, put him in jail.
0: So how? And then, how? Uh, wow! Norman, brilliant. <laughs> how do you guys, when Deadly's Catch Before It Comes Out, you everyone's approach to hey, there could be some cool, like there could be a cool show based on this. Was there any fear on your part where the television show might not do your industry justice? Oh, absolutely. That was the biggest fear. Okay. Um, the Well,
1: I mean, the biggest fear um, for, you know, not just industry, but in, insurance companies. Right. Uh, possibly having an injury that was televised. I mean, you know, just everything was a fear, especially the first year. I think it was, what was it, 05 we did it? Oh, four five. Yeah, 045. You know, but... it was like uh, derby days. So we didn't have a quota system and uh, a lot more participants, you know, that was, yeah, that was really scary. And uh, I think I've, I mentioned this before, but at the, in the beginning it was Tom Beers who had the original productions, the pressure production company, you know, he'd actually gone out and, and done an experimental run for himself. So that kind of sold me uh, as, as to the fact that, look, the guy's already been out there. He's the one who's going to be, you know, running the show, right? And so you couldn't fault him for that. So I, I, that I had a lot of respect for that, and that helped my decision making. But as far as paranoia and fear, you're darn right. It's a tiny little click, it's right? Not a big industry, you know. One guy comes up with something better than the next guy; they're all going to follow suit. One guy makes more money than the next guy; they're all going to get jealous. One guy, you know, it's just like a bunch of babies sometimes,
0: right? Which I I guess my follow up would be, obviously television is television, but I don't think they really had to create any drama or storylines. Like it was already built in with the competition and the anxiety of your actual team itself against going to other teams. And so I, that's why I really enjoy the show because it's like these are real people doing real things, and this isn't like a soap opera. I mean, in a sense, you guys are actually doing this stuff. And the, you're just fortunate to have a television camera there to actually record it. Oh, absolutely, and it, and, and yeah, you know, it's not like I know that uh, you know.
1: Sometimes you got to do things because you, you know you want the 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 you know the uh, oh what's the word you know. Uh, uh, there's times where they they film different shots. You know, they'll use a helicopter to get some some shots of the right. boats near harbor things like that you know uh, and 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 you got to have it so that you get a better visual of what's going on right you can't send a chopper out in the middle of the Bering Sea unless you're a Coast Guard guy and it, you know it's just not going to happen um so so for visual effects they've done stuff like that as far as production and trying to trying to force things or 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 mm-hmm. that's just not going to work you know it's just not going to do it. But, I mean, there's always – Let's. here's kind of how it is, too. At the end of the day, if I have a riff with somebody or there's a riff with another boat or something, camera guys, they're always going to look for drama. Right, right. That's their job. They're going to exploit that, you know. And, and uh, so if I got a hard day with Keith and I let him know or vice versa, they're going to exploit that. That doesn't mean it's not real. It just means I had a bad day with you, and then of course they're going to right. face that story, and that's good. That just it's just exploiting what is real, and they're just showing what is real. And you know, out of out of respect to them, they've got to take weeks or months of footage and then squeeze it into you know a season. Yeah, twenty some odd hours of TV. So there's a lot to condense there, and not everything makes it. We've had a lot of what I consider really interesting, cool stuff, but it's all got to fit and jive, you know, within their timeline. So they got a hell of a job to
0: perform as well. Now, one of the craziest, I don't know if it's crazy, but one of the most like emotional episodes is when you actually have a heart attack on camera. It's like, for me, that's like the first time I've, I've seen a reality TV show be like, man, this is, this is real life. And for you to put that out there, it, it's very, I don't know, I don't know how to say it, but it's, I was kind of blown away that, man, these are, these are real humans. And it was kind of like, really like it made you larger than life in the sense that one, you're, you're going through this right now, do what you love. And two, you're back out there the next year or so. And it's kind of like, man, this is someone that loves what they do, but this is a, this is a dangerous job. Yeah, that was a, I mean, at the time
1: when it was happening, you don't want to believe it, you know. Right. And, I mean, we lost, you know, like Phil Harris, you know. Yep. You know, and that was all televised. It was horrible. And then uh, it's not like you signed up to do that. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it happened. Um, and just move forward. That's all you can do. I mean, it was... It was. They, I got to give you know. I got to give them credit because they were pretty damn respectful when that happened. They could have jumped down my throat uh, and just had a camera just on you the whole time, like, like right. On you. And they didn't do that, so I thought that was pretty classy.
0: You know, there's a lot of different ways that could have been handled. You know, have you found that because of that television show, there's been a, there was an uptick, or is an uptick of people that want to become crab fishermen or people where you're kind of like, oh, I want to, this looks like this is a great show. I want to do this, but don't realize that, hey, this is, this is a deadly job. Yeah, well, it can be,
1: you know, <laughs> and it, yeah, it is, uh, and there's a lot of guys that I think, you know, maybe they're, maybe if it's a little ego driven or a bucket list kind of a mentality. And that's great. You know, sometimes you do it and you get hooked. Sometimes you do it once and you just, you know, you're, you're regretting ever trying it. I mean, I've, I've had guys, uh, I've met them at, in the airport on the way up for our King Crab season where most of the people have already put the work in the boat. They've already established their job, their position, uh, you know, for months in advance. And, you know, guys were like, yeah, I'm going to go to Dutch Harbor. Hey, it's you. You want to get me a job? I'm like, well, probably not because you know we've got a much smaller industry now and uh, but you never know right but that's not to be said that it can't happen I mean what am I you I'll never forget this I'm so uh, uh, flattered and happy for this guy he uh, I met him in uh, down at the docks in Seattle he was looking for work and I said I, you know I can't uh, I don't got room you know we only got like five guys I, I just don't got room and I said here's what you do. And uh, so this kid listened, and he was very ambitious, and I said, just, you know, here's some companies to call, and and some of the processors, and I go, you call these guys, and you you get a job with these guys, and you start working in those uh, plants, and by the time, uh, you know, you get up there, you got a roof over your head, you're making a couple of bucks, and you got to be at the right place at the right time. And then you you'll network yourself, you know, whether it be the restaurants, bars, whatever you you do, but you'll you'll meet people regardless. And I go get a job on that dock. And he did. And it was probably it was well over a year later. uh, And. uh, This guy comes up to me, you know, and I couldn't remember who he was. And he's like, don't you remember we talked? And I said, no. Then he and then he's uh, he goes. He changed my life. And he goes, and he pointed, he goes, That's my new home. And he got a job on a on a long liner they do for cod fishing. And they work you know, months and months out of the year. And he goes, I'm making good money. I found a home and a place. And he goes, and I listened to what you said, and that's exactly what happened. And he and he was the guy was in tears.
0: Wow, that's and awesome. He
1: changed me. I go, hey man, that just all that did was just make me feel like I did something right.
0: Right. You know?
1: So that's that's a good thing, you know. The guy that had the the ambition, and he wanted it, and he and he and he suffered a little bit for it, but at the end of the day, he got a hell of a job.
0: So, how would I say? I wanted to do what someone uh, on your deck does, pulling the, the nets and everything. How do I get practice doing that? I obviously start on a smaller vessel where I'm not I going to, out. I'd have sea. to take those funny things off your ears first. Yeah, perfect.
1: Yeah so you can hear what's going on. Right. Where where would you start as a greenhorn? Is that where you're getting at?
0: Yeah, like how would I, if I was like, hey man, once somewhere, I would say, like you said before, some people have like this bucket list thing. Say on my bucket list, I would love to be on a boat having this rush of doing what you guys do, but how would someone kind of, they just wait at the dock or they just kind of, how do you get the experience without actually going out there? I mean,
1: I mean, yeah, you'd rig gear. You'd probably rig some pots before you leave, whatever, maintenance, things of that nature, you know. Uh, I mean, we've had guys want to go. I've had guys offer me money to go out there. Interesting. Yeah, like I'll (laughs) pay you to take me on my bucket list, things like that. It's a pretty flattering stuff. But, uh, you know, as far as – you. When I got my first job uh, uh, salmon fishing, I remember the advice my old man gave me, and it was real simple stuff. He goes, just keep your mouth shut and do what he tells you to do. That was it. <laughs> it's
0: great advice.
1: Yeah. yeah. Just just shut your mouth. And I mean, and I wasn't cocky, you know, like it's it's strange, you know, when the cameras were on the boat first time. My whole family, uh, including mom, dad, me and my brother, super shy. I mean, very camera shy. And, uh, you know, this is about the opposite, the most opposite thing that could ever happen. It's like opposite. Um, That being said, uh, you know, dad's like, I mean, I I, I wasn't a smart ass either, but but I like to talk a lot, but would never want to take a picture or anything like that. And he's just like, just shut
0: your mouth. And then just do what he tells you. Simple stuff. You've, you've had the privilege, and uh, if you call it that, like you've, you've become like the, kind of like this pop culture person where you're on Celebrity Apprentice, other kind of game shows. But when you did the car, or Cars 2, w- was that something where you're kind of like, how the hell did I end up here being a captain on a crab boat to voicing a character in a Pixar movie? You know,
1: that's part of my bucket list, in all honesty. That's awesome. I mean, when we first got on the show, we didn't think it was going to lead to much, you know, or it would just be a one-off special. And then after, like, the second or year, third year, I was like, wait a minute, this might be something here. This might be fun. Right. And so I did have a list of things that I wanted to accomplish, you know, in lieu of uh, exploiting your, your image, if, if it ever came to that. We've had a lot of different things, a lot of different, you know, books and video games and a lot of lot of failures along the way. A lot of that's attributed to timing or bad partnerships, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, yeah, when you look at it, uh, Cars 2, that was just, uh, that was really neat. Even it was a tiny little snippet. No, it's great. It's awesome. And then, you know, I mean, now I've got a three-year-old grandson. We just had another... One born here in March, Adeline. So she, you know, she she's just a few months old. But but uh, you know, it's like you got a little, you know, it's like grandpa. He's right there. Look at him. You know? Right. You can hear your voice. And what's really flattering for me is, uh, uh, you know, like when we did this book, and uh, it was a tribute to my dad's generation and the guys, the true pioneers, if you'd call it that. And uh, wife and I are going to go on a cruise. You know, I hadn't done a lot of traveling like that before. And, uh, <laughs> and, and this, this woman, like, you know, in front of us, like a couple of places in front of us waiting to get on the ship, and her and her husband, they, they turn around and they, they've got the damn book in their hand. I'm like, could you sign this for me? I'm just like, blown <laughs> away. would you sign your book? And I go, how would you know? You know, there's so many people. And she goes, I can hear your voice. I could hear your voice. I knew it was that, and then and it happens more and more and more. You know, and then you think about the Cars Two thing, and 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 you hear your voice on a big production like that, and it's pretty darn flattering. That's all I
0: can say. In 2014, you were inducted into the Scandinavian Hall of Fame. What is that like? I mean, that's got to be a pretty, that's a very large kind of sounding Hall of Fame. But for you to be rep be in that hall it must be pretty uh pretty amazing for you and to represent your your again your family lineage yeah that uh what was that that was minot minnesota
1: um that was a few years ago now and and uh, doc severson was inducted. yeah and uh, and uh uh ricky nelson i get you know his sons were there to, to accept the award <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool and uh I mean, what do you say about something like that, right? You, you don't, right.
0: comment. But you also don't come across as someone that works for awards or recognition. You just want to do a great job, and but that, that must be a cool honor to say, "Oh yeah, I, I got the Scandinavian Hall of Fame." It really,
1: it really was, it was something uh, I didn't realize I hadn't been to that event before, um, and so just seeing that was uh, pretty awesome itself. And then obviously getting that uh, award like that was just really flattering. And, uh, you know, like for crying out loud, the King of Norway was here in Seattle, man, you know, (laughs) right. 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 You're shaking his hand. I mean, it it just, it blows your mind because, you know, and I don't understand it. Is it an image? Is it an image that people perceive you to be, or do they respect the person you, you are? Is it the occupation that, that's getting a little bit of credit? Uh, well, you know, right. And, and I ask myself that all the time. You know, and, and people already have an image of you like, like they'll a lot of people sometimes in passing, you know, or they're 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 afraid to talk to you. They think that you're gonna chew them up somehow. Right. Would you talk to my husband? He's afraid to talk to you. Like, what the hell, really? <laughs> uh, so there, there's an image that's branded. I think of, of how you're portrayed or how they see you. It's that's what I can't figure out
0: myself. So, so before I let I you know, go, so before I let you go, I know the last season in April with everything going on. Like, one of the cool things of the Lewis newest, newest season is kind of like this international flair to it with Russia. And so is that kind of something where you guys are going to slowly start kind of dealing with those operations up there and kind of something a little bit different? Well, you know, there, there's always competitors out there, right? Right. Um, you've
1: got Canadian, Norwegian, Russian. I mean, and, and uh, quite frankly, I'm working with, a, you know, some Norwegian industry right now to, to see what we can do. Um, but at the same time, yeah is that going to affect us? It always has. Okay. Do we, do, are we going to, you know, are they going to air that and televise it more that I don't know? So gotcha. is it a part of our industry? Yes. Is it going to be exploited more? That's see what I'm saying.
0: Right. Cause I've always fascinated. Cause obviously I, when the Barracks Sea is what countries are there, but now kind of seeing kind of like that Russian, uh Aspect of it on the actual screen, it's kind of unique because it makes the world seem that much bigger. And like you guys are doing a lot with stuff with a lot of different people. Yeah, uh, when I was, I remember when we were younger. We were fishing on the border back then. You didn't have
1: like GPS to where you had a definitive line. You know, it was a gray zone. Right, and you can kind of sneak over. Or you can sneak back, and right. you know what I mean. And there was respect it, if you want to call it that. Yeah. <laughs> It's wherever the crab are. That's what you're gonna.
0: And, and I remember, uh,
1: I won't say his name, but he went over the line a little bit too far, and they had gunships coming after him. And you it's know. like, uh, oh yeah. And uh, but you don't have, uh, didn't have a definitive line. But I remember, like the whole fleet was just rallying, like everybody's just race across, throw your lights on, and just you know, let's go get him. And bring him back kind of a thing but it ended up okay at the end of the day it was not worth kicking up a bunch of right you know, international uh, politics
0: over a crab uh, boat spies but like us could have been. do you have a duty as a captain to report illegal fishing or crabbing or is this something where like how do you deal with someone you a boat you come across that might be something that uh sea shepherd would want to find out about or something like that
1: Oh, that's a hard one. That's a rough one, man. I've never heard that one before.
0: I am friends with sea shepherds, so I like, I talk to them all the time. I, I've always loved that aspect of people defending animals and making sure people have the license. And I get that, but I also see the side where someone like you, these fishermen, are like it's a fine line, right? So how it do is, you? Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, put it this way. You know, in our industry, like you know, it's all about sustainability nowadays. Right. Where it really wasn't before, it was about you know attack, conquer, get what you can. Number one. Right. Basically, now we want everybody wants sustainability. We want better product. We want you know uh, better product for better price for better quality. For everybody, it just it just goes all the way around. It took years to educate fishermen to get that mentality. You know, if you fish less but bring in better, you're going to get paid more type of a thing, right? Right. Um so yeah, it's you know, technically you are you're not legally bound to report something like that. Like if you see somebody murder, you got to report obviously. It's not but yeah, you're going to you're going to protect your own industry and you're always going to report something like that i think right nine, i think nine nine out of ten guys would report it some guys might turn their head to illegal fishing but you know with the jones act in place and all that we haven't had a lot of illegal activity from forever and a day and that's good there's well there's been a little bit of you know incidents but but nothing to that extreme right and i and i and like it too
0: there's some you see some of these documentaries and stuff where it's like these people are killing dolphins and the stuff where it's like that's obviously not what you guys are your industry doesn't really you don't see anyone pull up dolphins especially where you are but i was always just kind of curious like with the laws however they're changing and stuff where you have a duty to act and at the end of the day you're I believe in carbon. I think I you think- get. A, I think you have a moral duty, you know. Oh, right. And I think 100%. the
1: moral duty comes I think as you mature that comes with age, you know. And like like right now I have uh, there's two there's two businesses that we're working on. One of them is a it's a new bait that we've uh, come up with. Oh nice. It's 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 all uh, <laughs> it's uh, sustainable and it works really well and uh, in Norway there's uh there, it's, it's very advantageous uh, to salmon farming. Um, so I want to try to get that on the table and, and really look at that because of the future there. You know, you talk about, you know, like in that country, especially because it's near and dear to my heart, you've got oil industry, which is huge. And then yes. you got salmon, which is number two there. We've also got another uh, company that that uh, is doing, it's called a rescue unit. So it's like a... Um, it's like an escape mechanism, and uh, so if you lose any trap or any your fishing gear, right? And we've tested Canada. We're going to go Australia. We've got uh, Bahamas, uh, and in Europe there. But like that one is where you know it's like uh, in Europe especially they want to clean out the bottom of the ocean. They want to rid the ocean of this this harmful waste. Right. You know, and and uh, yes, there's a lot of pots in the bottom, and if you could retrieve them, well, oh, that'd be good, right? Not only that, if you have that escape mechanism where it opens up, whatever is uh, caught can be, you know, reharvested, and then uh, so there's a lot of neat stuff that we're working with, and and uh, I just think you know, had had I ever talked or thought this way uh, forty years ago, the answer is no. Right. I wouldn't, but now, you know, I, I see things different. Yep. You have another generation that's going to step into my shoes, whether it be Mandy or, or whoever. Yep. And, uh, and so the next generation, then you want to see something for them. And, and so, you know, it, it's, you change, people change. And, and the guy you're talking to now is not the same guy, you know, uh, That's the same
0: 22-year-old, no. right? No, 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 not the same guy. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you, uh, Captain Hansen, for this. It's. Uh, I wish you nothing but success, and uh, I keep watching the show, and um, thank you for the entertainment and the knowledge, and uh, this was awesome.
1: I, I I love doing this stuff. It, it's, uh, yeah, the, the more we do this, the more I feel like we've done something right, so...
0: That's
2: a testament to the whole thing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Captain. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. From Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net-zero carbon-certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves.